Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers, with me, Yasmina Peterson, and the resident Imam at the Yusufia Masjid, situated in Weinberg. None other than Sheikh Ibrahim was joining us in studio this Saturday evening to note that this is a pre recorded session. And if you have any questions in which you want us to answer on the show, you may send it through via our fax number, email, or SMS us. We shall share those details later on, inshallah. And you will be receiving an answer on the following program being next week, Saturday, inshallah. But with that said, we are now going to be looking at some of those questions. But first of all, Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh uh, to you, Sister Yasmina, and to our honorable listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Sheikh, shukran once again for coming into studio and doing this program with us. However, we're going to be starting with some of the questions in which we still had left of last week, in which we did not tackle. So those questions read as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I would like to know if it is possible to kurban on a child if they didn't perform a kikai. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. The Qurban uh, and the Aqiqa, according to uh, majority of scholars, are both uh, sunnah and both are voluntary actions or practices uh, that we should uh, try to, to do. Uh, it is not obligatory, according to most scholars. And there are two distinct sunnahs as well. So the one uh, does not interfere with the other. Uh, and in terms of a timeline, obviously the Aqiqa is the one that is done as soon uh, after the baby is born, uh, if uh, possible on the seventh day. If not, then after that. Um, and uh, a Qurban, obviously, is done once a year, right, on Eid al-Adha or the days of Tashriq, which follows it. So the two are distinct sunnas, uh, and a person can decide whichever one he wants to do. If it is uh, around about the time of Eid al-Adha, and he wants to do both at the same time, during those days, it's no problem. Uh, if, for example, on the days of Eid al-Adha, uh, he, he cannot afford except one of the two, either the Aqiqa or the Qurbani. He can decide now which one he wants to do, but uh, the preference would be uh, to do the uh, to do the Aqiqa, as that should be, uh, should one should try to do that as close as possible, obviously, to the time of the baby's uh, birth. So, uh, if that is done, then that is fine. But what is not allowed is you are not allowed to slaughter one sheep for both purposes. Right, because there are two distinct sunnas, both must be done separately uh, as a person uh, is able to afford them. And uh, as I said, whichever one he does first, it does not matter. Let's say that same scenario, it is the days of Eid al-Adha and he feels he first wants to do the Qurban and then do the Aqiqa at a later stage. That is also okay, it does not really matter. But it's best, obviously, as I said, that the Aqiqa be done as soon uh, after the baby's birth. Uh, and then the uh, Qurbani, obviously, is a yearly thing if a person can do it every year. The only madhab that actually says it is compulsory that you must do an aqiqa and you must do a qurbani every year is the Hanafi madhab. You know, they are quite strict. Uh, if you can afford it, you must slaughter a sheep every year. The rest of the madhab say, no, this is one of the sunnah practices which we try to follow uh, in emulation of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. says, Assalamu alaikum. I want to move out of my in-law's house, but my wife refused to move with me. So what do I do as a husband, Sheikh? Yeah, of course, uh, first of all, the duty of the husband is to uh, provide 
uh, a living quarters uh, for his wife that is suitable right and that is obviously uh, on the standard that she was used to before she was married and also taking into consideration what the husband can obviously afford uh, it must be comfortable for the wife so this is obviously part of the nafaka we know that the nafaka are basically three things it's uh, providing a shelter it's providing clothing and it's also providing food uh, and nutrition for your wife and for your children as well so of course uh, giving the wife a suitable living quarters is part of nafaka so you must obviously do best uh, uh, to provide that to her uh, in the case where you are living by your in-laws uh, and you want to move out now the question is the place that you are going to move to is it suitable is it really something that is livable uh, for the standards of your wife if that is the case then she have no objection she should have no objection but she should move with you because obviously it is your prerogative to provide that dwelling as long as it is suitable so if that is the case then she is compelled to actually move wherever you go but on the other hand let's say where you are staying now with your in-laws is more comfortable in terms of the living quarters in terms of uh, what you are providing for her and the place that you want to move to is perhaps not that suitable for her then obviously she can demand that you first provide a place that is suitable uh, according to the the norms and the customs uh, so that is uh, what needs to be discussed and uh, I think uh, with these kinds of uh, social issues it is important that you obviously talk about it and try to come to some kind of agreement uh, I think think uh, maybe the wife would feel more comfortable if she is in a, a mother's ho house or close to a mother and father maybe for for some other convenience you know to to see her parents or for the if there's children for for them to also see to the children whatever the case may be but uh, as i said uh, she should actually love where you provide for her a place to stay as long as it is something suitable for for her needs inshallah shukran so much for that sheikh now you've got what a lengthy question it says assalamu alaikum sheikh my father left me some money with a family member while he was alive to give to me if he passes on there are other siblings we are not from the same mother he did leave his estate and money for all of them i want to know must i share the money he left for me with them as well yeah, it, it depends here. Uh, if your father had left some money with a family member to give to you and uh, it was intended as a gift, then that gift obviously should have ha be handed over to you already in your father's lifetime. And you should have accepted that gift in your father's lifetime, right? So that is what a gift is. We must remember a gift is also a contract. It's also uh, an agreement between two people. If you give an article to someone as a gift, uh, you must hand over that particular article. And obviously, the person must receive it. And he must actually accept it. And that is when uh, the, the uh, contract or the agreement of gift giving actually takes place or takes effect. So if that was intended, then this person who your father had given some money to to give to you should have been given to you already in your lifetime. Uh, otherwise, you, you could not have accepted otherwise. You know, it must be accepted from the person who actually gives it. But if it is done after, so your father gave some money to him, but your father said to him, look, you should only give it to him after I die. Actually, this is part of the estate. I don't see how that is different from the estate. Because whatever a person leaves behind, uh, it becomes part of the will. I mean, you can't really exclude and say this is part and not part. Everything that a person owns, it becomes part of the estate. Except those things that a person had disposed of already in a person's lifetime. And the other party involved had accepted that. Now, in the case of your father, as you mentioned here, also leaving the will only to the other siblings. 
uh, and making out the wall only on the name of this obviously also is not acceptable and correct uh, from a sharia point of view because all siblings all the children of the deceased must obviously inherit from your father including yourself and this is what should have been done so uh, as far as i can see all of this is a state and it must be done if you wanted to do a sharia and everything should be split uh, according to what the sharia states including that money that your father gave because it was not handed over to you in his lifetime but rather it only took effect after he died so we will consider that to be part of the estate shukran so much for that Sheikh. you are tuned to 91.3 fm this is your program questions and answers you can send through those questions through to the fax number being 021-447-7271 you can also sms on 47913 you can also email me on jasmina at vocfm.co.za and answering all of your questions this evening we've got in studio none other than Sheikh ibrahim was Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to your program, Questions and Answers, with me, Yasmina Peterson, and joined in studio, we've got none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moos. To note that you can still send through your questions through to 47913. You can also send it through via fax on 021. 447-7271 or you can email me at jasmina at vocfm.co.za Some of the other questions that has come through us is Assalamu alaikum Imam. My question is I'm a divorced lady. I find it difficult to find a proper job and while I struggle to support my kids my family bad mouths me all over saying bad things that I'm lazy and much more. What do I do in this situation because I feel I'm at the point of taking my life due to my family Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. of course uh, I think you should first and foremost uh, focus on on your own life and uh, put your your trust in Allah and uh, not bother too much what, what people are going to say out there as to what you are doing um, our comfort always lies in the fact that Allah knows what is happening to us that is where our comfort lies Allah Ta'ala is aware of our situation and uh, my first thing that I want to tell you is remember that Allah is our creator He's our sustainer He's our provider and uh, he is the one that puts us in certain situations sometimes in order to test us and uh, he is the one that can also take us out of those situations very easily if he wanted to so we must obviously put our trust in him first and foremost and Allah Ta'ala says uh, in the Quran obviously reminding us about this in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verses 155 to 157 where Allah Ta'ala says We will certainly test you in either uh, giving you a situation where you are afraid of something or we will test you in terms of hunger or we will test you in terms of taking away some of your wealth or taking away some of your family members uh, and also your provisions to decrease your provisions provisions Allah Ta'ala says these are all different forms of tests but then Allah says وَبَشِّرِ صَابِرِينَ but there's always glad tidings for those people who have patience الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبًا when something afflicts them what do they say إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْ رَاجِعُونَ everything comes from Allah and to Allah is our return and Allah says in the verse following that أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّن رَبِّهِمْ وَرَحْمًا وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُهْتَدُونَ these people that show this kind of patience when a calamity afflicts them they will have the blessings of Allah Ta'ala over them and they will have the mercy of Allah with them and they are the ones that are truly guided and what we can see from this verse is that the situations that we find ourselves in will always 
always be one that we are being tested in various different ways. How we respond to it is very important. The moment we respond properly to it, we will find that Allah Ta'ala will be with us and eventually take us out of that situation. Now, uh, the worrying part of this question is, of course, the last part where the person is saying that they are at a point where they want to take their life. And this is obviously something that we should uh, talk to this person about if there's maybe uh, close family members that knows about the situation or anybody else that can assist to actually go and speak to this person. It's a very serious issue. We obviously, uh, you know, taking a per- your own life is not going to be the answer. It's not going to solve anything. It's not permissible. It's not going to cause you to be in any less difficulty than what you are at the moment. In fact, it will be a greater difficulty if a person takes uh, his or her own life. As we know that life is not ours. It is Allah Ta'ala has, li- uh, has given us this life and we should preserve it at all times. And uh, we know your situation is very difficult. And as I said, you should focus on your own well-being at the moment. Don't care. Uh, don't worry so much about, uh, don't give too much care to those people that are bad-mouthing you and saying bad things about you. You know that Allah knows what you are doing. You are trying your best. Even if it's a job that is perhaps not paying a lot of money, but if it's halal, if it's at least something which uh, is above board, that is where Allah will place the barakah for you. And uh, obviously our dua goes out to this person that Allah Ta'ala relieves her uh, from this difficulty, inshallah. And that Allah Ta'ala calls some, some exit to this, this uh, very, very, very difficult situation that she is in, inshallah. Amen, amen, amen for that. And then also we are taking your questions on uh, 47913, alternatively fax on 021-447-7271. You can also give me an email on jasmina at vocfm.co.za. The next question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Yasmina and Sheikh. We are told to repeat the adhan when it is made and recite la hawla wa la quwwata after hayal al-salah and hayal al-falah. What should we recite after as-salatu hayal? in the Fajr Adhan. Shukran. Yeah, of course, yeah, the Sunnah is that when the Adhan is being made, that uh, every word of the Mu'adhin or every sentence that the Mu'adhin utters, we will then repeat what he is saying. So he says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. We also say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. He says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. We also say that. That is the Sunnah. And quite correctly, if he says, Hayya ala salah and Hayya ala al-falah, we say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. But the question is, in Fajr Adhan, when he says, As-salatu khayru min an-nawm, do we repeat what he says or is is there something else that we should, that we say? Imam Nawawi rahimahullah in his book Al Majmu' he says very clearly, وَيَقُولُ إِذَا سَمِعَ قَوْلَ الْمُؤَذِّنِ أَصْلَاتُ خَيْرٌ مِنَ النَّوْمِ صَدَقْتَ وَبَرَرْتَ هَذَا هُوَ الْمَشْهُورُ Imam Nawawi says that when the person hears the Mu'addin saying أَصْلَاتُ خَيْرٌ مِنَ النَّوْمِ and of course the meaning of صَلَاتُ خَيْرٌ مِنَ النَّوْمِ is that salah is better than sleep. So when you hear that words coming from the uh, mouth of the Mu'addin, he says. Then you say, Sadaqta wa bararta. Sadaqta wa bararta. It means you have spoken the truth, and bararta means you have acted righteously by informing us about this particular fact that salah is better than, than uh, sleeping. So uh, obviously, uh, and he says, Hada huwa al mashhur. He says, This is the well known uh, opinion in the madhab of Imam Shafi'i, what should be said. And so this becomes then uh, the uh, uh, position that we follow. So when the Mu'addin says, As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm, we say, Sadaqta wa bararta, which means you have spoken the truth and you have acted righteously. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Yasmina and Sheikh. When two adhans are made at Jumu'ah, should you make the dua after both adhans? I've seen that people tend to make dua after the first one only. 
Yeah, actually, the uh, the adhan, uh, as we know, um, whenever uh, the adhan is rendered, um, as I mentioned uh, in the question just before this, we obviously repeat what the muaddin says, and it is also then sunnah to make a specific dua, which was taught to us by the Prophet sallallahu to be made after the adhan. And it's a well-known dua, Allahumma rabba hadi da'wati tama wa salati al-qa'ima, very well-known dua to all of us. So uh, in, in Jumu'ah, during Jumu'ah, do we make it for both adhans, or only the first one, or the second one? Actually, each time you the adhan it is sunnah to make the dua afterwards at any given occasion when you are the adhan it is sunnah to say the words of the adhan afterwards so during jumu'ah time whether it is the first adhan or the second one it is sunnah for you to quickly make the dua after that um, and it is interesting that uh, just uh, from a historical point of view many people may not know this there's two adhans during jumu'ah but in the time of the prophet wasallam, there was actually only one adhan Right, and the adhan that was rendered uh, in the time of the Prophet is what we would refer to nowadays as being the second adhan. So the second adhan that we are making is actually the original adhan that was made in the time of the Prophet So where did the first adhan then come from? This came from the time of Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan, the third Khalifa. He decided to introduce this adhan in order to make people aware that the that the waqt of Jumu'ah is very close. So they should be preparing for the waqt of Jumu'ah. So the first adhan really is to announce to people that Jumu'ah is about to start. But the second adhan is the actual adhan of Jumu'ah. So uh, just looking at the, the question here, uh, this person says that people make it after the first one and not after the second one. Actually, the first one is the one that came at a later stage. The one that was introduced by Sayyidina Uthman is the first one. Uh, and the second one, as I said, is the one that was done in the time of the Prophet Wasallam. So that one also deserves the uh, dua after the adhan, just like the first one. So in each occasion that we hear the words of the adhan, it is sunnah that we do that as we described. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. And do know that you can still send through your questions if you want answers to them right here on 47913. Alternatively, fax it through on 021-447-7271. The following question reads as follows, Sheikh. says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Hoping you are in the best of health, inshallah. What if a father after 38 years shunned his children and says they are not his now because they are grown-ups, but he got married to his old friend's grown-up daughter that's just a few years older than his own. He totally ignores his four children and said straight he want to make more children by so that he don't have to leave all his money to the four if he will still have any left. Yeah, so the issue of uh, your father uh, not paying attention to uh, yourself and your siblings, uh, or the children, of course, uh, it's wrong of him. Uh, your children y- y- remain your children. You know, you can never disown your children. You can never disown them. And the only time that you can distance yourself from a family member is if that, if that person becomes murtad, for example. If that person leaves the faith, then in, in that case, obviously, certain rules will then apply. One of which will be there will be no inheritance, there will be no connection, etc. Because uh, becoming murtad is obviously a very serious offense. Uh, other than that, you are not allowed to obviously disown your children. So, the father shunning his own children or not paying attention to them or, or saying that they are on their own now because they are grown up. Well, yes, if it's from the angle that he's saying that he doesn't have to look after them any longer and give them nafaka, that's true. Because once you are grown up, obviously you look after yourself. You are, you are no longer dependent on your father and your mother. Uh, once a person is dependent, uh, independent, then they should obviously look after themselves. Uh, so he's correct in saying that you are on your own from that angle. But from the angle of saying that you are no longer my children and, and I don't want to see you, I don't want to, to have anything that is wrong that is obviously not allowed you will remain their father they will remain your children 
right? Uh, with regards to, I think, what in this question, what I pick up is obviously the issue of, obviously, the children also feeling a bit disturbed that he married a younger woman, uh, perhaps a woman that is close to their own age. So obviously, this is his choice. If he did this and he married this woman in a halal way, and this woman, uh, you know, consented to the marriage and all the conditions of marriage prevailed, then of course the marriage is halal, you know. And if it is halal, then you as the children of your father should obviously try to support him and respect him in that. Okay, that's a separate issue altogether. Um, you should try to respect his wishes. You should, should try to respect his decisions. If he married this younger woman, so be it. You know, that is up to him to do that. But you should remind him, yes, that you are still his children, even if he's now married to someone else. And the fact that you are saying that he wants to, you know, rather have other children so that you can get less, less of the inheritance. No, of course, the inheritance will be split amongst all the children. The Sharia dictates and commands that everybody get their fair share of inheritance. So your father can't really cut you out or really decide who he wants to give and not give and like that. The Sharia has already decided on issues like this. So you can rest assured that from a Sharia point of view, you cannot be screened and your siblings cannot be screened from what is truly your haq given to you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but in terms of him now ignoring the four of you or not paying attention that is wrong and he should be reminded that his children remain his children maybe someone can tell him that or speak to him about it and perhaps he will see the light inshallah ta'ala Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. If a man marries a lady who has daughters, is the man a mahram for them? Yeah, of course, uh, there, there are categories of women, as we know, stated clearly in the Quran, that we can never get married to, that become permanently uh, haram for us to get married to. Uh, all the categories uh, that are mentioned in the Quran, and this verse is verse number 23 of Surah An-Nisa, which is chapter 4 of the Quran. So in this verse, Allah Ta'ala speaks about the Raba'ib. Uh, so what is the Raba'ib? is basically uh, your children from a previous marriage. Okay, and Allah Ta'ala says in this ayah, وَرَبَائِبُكُمُ اللَّاتِ فِي حُجُورِكُم مِّن نِسَائِكُمُ اللَّاتِ دَخَلْتُمْ بِهِن And the children of your wife of a previous marriage, your daughters, your, your wife's daughters of a previous marriage who live in your home, uh, they are also haram upon you the moment that you consummate the marriage between yourself and their mother. Meaning when you get married to their mother and the marriage actually is consummated, right, you live as husband and wife, from that moment onwards, the wife's children, the wife's daughters will become haram upon you because you become now the stepfather of those children, right? So you can never get married to them. You don't break hudu, you don't, you can, if they touch uh, uh, skin on skin and like that, it does not break hudu because those daughters, uh, although they are your stepdaughters, they become as if they are your own from that sense. So yes, there is a mahram relationship between a stepfather and a stepdaughter. Um, that is what this ayah is clearly stating. But the ayah also says, if consummation had taken place. Now this is an a, a, a interesting scenario. Let's say perhaps a, a person got married to a woman who's got daughters. So they got married, but they never lived together as husband and wife. They never consummated the marriage. So let's say after that, for some reason, the person divorced that woman. So he never lived with her, never had any intimate relations with her, and then he divorced her. Now in this case, the ayah says, فَإِن لَمْ تَكُونُوا دَخَلْتُمْ بِهِنَّ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ If consummation did not take place between a person and another woman who has daughters, and he divorces that woman, then you are allowed, that, that person is actually then allowed to marry that daughters as well, afterwards. Because in other words, those daughters never really became his stepdaughters. Because there was no connection between him and their mother, 
at all. Alright? So that is the condition that the ayah is referring to. It's only after consummation that, that those daughters fill the position of being stepdaughters, in which case a person will never be able to marry them. So there is a mahram relation between them. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. Then the following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Imam. When a person wake up for fajr and performs it in your pajamas, is your salah accepted or not? Yeah, so there's two things. The one is if the uh, pajamas, whatever you slept in, clothing is, is, is clean and pure, you can make salah in it from a thick aspect and a technical aspect if it's clean then obviously that is the condition of salah everything must be clean then it's okay your salah is obviously correct the second issue is however is it proper etiquette to make salah like that is it of the adab to make salah like that the answer is no of the adab of salah is that you obviously try to dress as best as you can when you stand in front of Allah it's like when somebody comes and visits you I mean you won't sit with your pajamas and entertain somebody as a guest you will go put on clothing, you will put on good, especially if it's an important person, if it's somebody of note, you will make sure that you dress up, so to say, to give a good impression. Now imagine you're standing in front of your Creator, Allah Ta'ala, so how can you do it with clothing that uh, you won't even entertain guests with? Okay, So it's not of the adab to actually make salah in clothing that is not suitable, or that is not like uh, your pajamas or your gown like that. If it's not suitable, it's best obviously not to make salah like that. And there's a verse in the Quran where Allah speaks about this issue. Surah Al-A'raf, chapter 7 verse 31 Allah says O children of Adam take your beauty and beautify yourself when you go to a masjid and the word masjid here does not necessarily refer to a place where you make salah uh, which is called a masjid but it refers to a place of sujood wherever you're going to make sujood to Allah Ta'ala beautify yourself put yourself in a good position make uh, you know beautify your clothing make your appearance something which is acceptable before you stand in front of Allah Ta'ala. And in fact, Ibn Kathir, when he comments on this ayah Allah, uh, of Allah Ta'ala in Surah uh, Al-A'raf, which you just quoted now, Ibn Kathir in his tafsir, he says, وَلِهَذِهِ الْآيَةِ وَمَا وَرَدَ فِي مَعْنَاهَا مِنَ السُنَّةِ يُسْتَحَبُّ التَّجَمُّلُ عِنْدَ الصَّلَاةِ he says because of this verse and because of many hadith that also uh, corroborate this, this ayah, which backs up this ayah, you find because of this, he says, it is desirable that a person beautifies him at the time of salah. Whenever he goes to salah, he puts himself in a state of beauty, clothing, everything. That's why you take hudu also, so that you are pure, you are fresh, you are in a good frame of mind, a good physical appearance, because it's no ordinary uh, occasion. It's actually a very grand occasion when you are making salah, standing in front of your creator. So just to repeat, if you make salah like that, your salah will be correct in terms of validity. Valid, it will be valid. But in terms of etiquette, it's not the best et etiquette to make salah in your pajamas or clothes that you sleep in. But rather, it's best to wear the best clothing that you can. Uh, that's why we find that old people, for example, they had special clothing that they made salah in put on a special top, especially a Friday or even for an ordinary salah also. Uh, sometimes we find in the olden times they used to do this, a person would make salah, he'd take off his normal pants that he's wearing and rather wear the underpants or the long underpants that he's wearing and put the top over whatever. All this was actually very good because it's to show that you cannot make salah to Allah Ta'ala in your ordinary appearance, but rather it must be something which you go out of your, out of your way for. We are going to be breaking for ads now and when we come back... Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas.
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and this is your program, Questions and Answers. And we are joined in studio with Sheikh Ibrahim Mous, answering all of your questions. Do note that you can send through those questions through to 47913. Alternatively, send through a fax on 021-447-7271. Or you can email me on jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Just before the ad break, we had a question in which I will just repeat just so that she can give the answer, inshallah. The question goes as follows. It says, Assalamu alaikum. I follow the Shafi Madhab. If I find myself about to miss making Dur Salah within Shafi time, can I still make it before the Hanafi Asr time starts as per calendar, the, as per the Salah time calendar? Yeah, the issue of the uh, different times uh, across the different Madhabs, we find that the vast majority of scholars obviously agree that the time of Dhuhr is obviously from the time that the sun moves away from the middle of the sky and this is what we call zawal so uh, it begins at the time of zawal and uh, when does the time of dhuhr actually end uh, the indication that the prophet sallallahu had given was that the time of dhuhr ends when the shadow of a particular object is equal to its own length right so you can judge more or less when you see the shadow of an object be- being the same length of that particular object then more or less that would be the time that dhuhr has been completed now the time of dhuhr is complete and the waqt of asr has entered right this is the vast majority of scholars that have this view then we have the view of one particular scholar which is abu hanifa rahimahullah his view is that it extends dhuhr will extend to such a, a time when the shadow of an object is twice its length Meaning at a later time of the afternoon will be the entrance of Asr uh, and the end of Dhuhr. So the person is asking, can you like switch now to the Hanafi Madhab, seeing that you were late for Dhuhr? What I would suggest is that you try your best to make your Dhuhr Salah within the time frame that is stated on the calendar. Because number one, as I said, that is the majority viewpoint. In fact, if you look at the Hanafi school, you'll find that this is the view of Abu Hanifa. Uh, although the very close students of Abu Hanifa by the name of Muhammad ibn al-Hasan al-Shaybani and Abu Yusuf they were very close students of Abu Hanifa and they themselves are also uh, imams of the madhab we find that they themselves did not follow this view of Imam Abu Hanifa they actually followed the view of the majority that states that Dhuwar Salah ends when the shadow of each object is the same to its length, is equal to its length. So this view really is a very uh, isolated view only by Abu Hanifa himself, although his own students uh, did not really follow this view. So it would be best to obviously avoid that kind of thing and to make your salah in its time. But I suppose if you are really in a fix and you've really wanted to make it on time and uh, you just couldn't for whatever reason, Yes, according to Abu Hanifa, if you make it slightly later, it will still be valid as a salah that is been made in its time. Although, according to the majority of scholars, that would be considered a qada'an salah. It will be a make-up salah and not a salah that is made in its time. So yes, according to Abu Hanifa, it would be acceptable. And you can do that. It would be acceptable according to Abu Hanifa. But according to the rest of the scholars, it would not be valid as an ada salah, but rather as a qada'an salah. So that's why I say it is better for you to strive to make the salah within that particular time if you are able to and not to follow that view except in extreme circumstances where you really couldn't do anything else in the given uh, situation 
Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I stay in a small room and I'd like to know if I can make salah on my bed. Shukran. Yeah, this is an interesting question that uh, fortunately had been discussed by many scholars before uh, because you may find yourself in a situation sometimes where space is limited or there is nowhere to stand. So can you stand on a platform like a bed, like a chair, if it's a wide chair? Can, can you make salah like that or must you absolutely be on the floor? When you are making salah, it's an interesting question. Uh, we find that Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, again, he had actually addressed this particular uh, question uh, in his Majmu', uh, a book, well known book in Shafi'i Fiqh. Imam Nawawi states, he says that if a person faces the Qibla, and we know facing the Qibla is also obviously one of the conditions of Salah. You must face the Qibla when you are making Salah. So if a person faces the Qibla, he says, and he, he completes all the integrals of Salah, all the Arkan, and we know the Arkan of Salah are many, of which some of which is you must stand if you are able to stand. You must make your ruku properly. You must make your sujood properly. You must uh, do the sitting between the sujoods properly. You must do all the movements properly. You must recite the fatiha, for example. Those are all the arkan. So he says if a person faces the qibla and he, he, he completes all the arkan of the salah, even if it be that he is standing on a hodaj. A hodaj really is what in the olden times um, uh, they used to obviously use the camels as a mode of transport. And very often they used to place what is like a small tent on top of the camel where women would sit in and obviously they would be covered in this tent mm. it's like a little carriage which they used to place right on top of the camel in order for women and for children to sit in there to block them from the sun and also to screen them and, and, and stuff like that so he says here if you make salah on in one of these things and interestingly he actually mentioned the example of the bed also he says if you make salah on a bed or anything like it whether it is on the back of an animal standing or whether it is anything else he says there's two positions in the Shafi'i Madhab as to the validity of the Salah. He says the most correct position and the most sound position is that it is correct, that it is okay to make Salah like this. And this is the position that has been taken by most of the ulama within the Shafi'i school of thought. So yes, it would be allowed for you to make Salah on a bed as long as you are facing the Qibla and you are doing all the other arkans that are necessarily for you necessary for you to make and i just want to alert to one thing and that is when you are going to make salah on a bed one of the things that you must take extra special care of is is your sujood because now remember your head is going to be resting on a soft surface which is maybe the uh, mattress of the bed and normally uh, your sujood must be done in such a way that you actually place all the weight down onto the ground when you are making sujood in other words you cannot make sujood on the ground where your head is just touching the ground slightly that is not enough your head must actually be resting on the ground so the same goes for the bed you must make sure that your head is resting on the bed solidly and with all the weight resting on the bed to get a proper sujood and if you do that and you do all the arkans of salah facing the qibla reciting the fatiha and everything else inshallah your salah would be correct and valid according to what we've just discussed uh, in the view of imam and nawawi rahimahullah Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. We've got quite a lengthy question uh, following, and it says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Me and my husband were both married previously and have children from those marriages. His kids are all grown up, and we have a somewhat good relationship, but we always argue.
you because of his children. They are very disrespectful towards me and my husband does nothing. The one even tried to burn my house down. They have never asked me ma for all the slander and rudeness, but my husband expects me to treat them like normal when they come to our house. I have had enough as we had another argument over them and we haven't spoken two words to each other in seven days. Any advice? Yeah, also a lengthy answer. So yes. perhaps we'll leave it till after the break as well. Inshallah, Inshallah. definitely. We break for ads and when we come back, we'll continue. Stay tuned. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and we are joined in studio with Sheikh Ibrahim, who is answering all of your questions right here on Q&A. You can send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, you can send through a fax on 021-447-7271. Sheikh, the question in which I mentioned just before the ad break, inshallah. You may yeah, it's a, it was quite a long question. <laughs> and uh, just to summarize again, the question is really a, a conflict between uh, husband and wife uh, and especially because of the presence of children of the previous marriage and this is a situation that we often find happens uh, if you get if a person get married to a woman who has children or the husband has children from a previous marriage uh, very often there is a bit of conflict that comes in because now either the husband or the wife is giving more attention to their own children uh, of a previous marriage or there's some favoring going on or some issues like that so it's very I think important before a person gets married like this that they have clear understanding and terms as to how you are going to uh, go about in terms of the children that you have of previous marriages. What are the arrangements that are going to be made and what uh, processes are going to be in place. I think this is a very, very important thing that must be discussed before getting married. But this is a situation where people are already married and this is unfortunately the conflict that is coming up now. And it's obviously wrong of your husband to expect that you must just keep quiet if his children are doing things that are wrong. Uh, obviously, if they're do, doing certain things wrong and they're disrespectful to you, etc., this is unacceptable and wrong. He should obviously rectify the situation and he should not uh, ignore the problem and make as if it is okay or make that if it's his children, it's okay. That is wrong of him to do that. So you obviously and your husband, you need serious counseling. You need somebody to sit down with you. And uh, if you've not spoken for a long time, it makes things worse because then, you know, there's ill feelings that build up and, and stuff like that. So it's best to tackle it as soon as you can possibly get somebody to sit with you and explain to your husband that, look, uh, your children uh, should respect first of all your wife that you have currently. You know, she is their stepmother. And no matter how we look at it, she's got a certain uh, status that should be afforded to her. She is your wife and, uh, you know, they should respect her. Obviously, they will never have the same feelings to her than what they had for their own mother. That is, uh, it goes without saying, you, you can't replace a mother. But... This, this woman still deserves some kind of respect and some kind of dignity. So the husband must make sure that this happens and uh, it, it would be totally wrong, as I said, for him just to uh, brush it under the carpet or just to ignore it or to overlook it. Uh, he should rectify it. And some of it seems quite uh, uh, serious issues. I mean, uh, one of the son wanting to burn down a house, for example. The serious uh, you know, kind of anger and feelings that have erupted there. So you need some counseling to give these kinds of uh, directives to your husband as far as the children are concerned. Hopefully, inshallah, you will have some kind of solution to the issue at hand.
Inshallah. The following question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If two people are married, is it right for the husband to stay with his family instead of with his wife? He leaves her alone all the time and she just goes to her when he feels like it. And she is a good wife towards him. Now, obviously, it's not correct uh, for him to do that. Uh, that is not what married life is about. Uh, married life is all about uh, you know having a good understanding with your wife and protecting your wife and uh, supporting her, giving her nafaka, giving her your love and your care. So by leaving her alone all the time and not staying with her and just visiting occasionally, that is not what marriage is about. So uh, obviously uh, it's wrong of him to do this. And uh, Allah says in the Quran, وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ This is Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 19 where Allah says, And live with them, meaning your wives, in kindness. You know, kindness should be shown to our wives at all times. He must treat her with respect and with dignity. And so it is not uh, becoming of him to neglect his wife like this. Um, so somebody must uh, speak to him and say to him, look, this is not on. You are married to this woman and you should have uh, all her interest in your, uh, in your heart and you know, should protect her at all times and show her. Imagine you leave her alone and something happens to her. You know, who's going to be responsible for that? You will be responsible if you neglected your duty towards her. And uh, we, we should always have that care for our wives. Um, you know, there was a person by the name of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. One day he said to, 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 to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, and the Sahaba were all present there, and he said, لَوْ رَأَيْتُ رَجُلًا مَعَ إِمْرَأَتِي لَضَرَبْتُهُ بِسَيْفِ He says, if I must see someone with my, with my wife, you know, another man with my wife, I will kill him. I will, I will cut his neck. So obviously he showed that he was he's in a sense jealous, but it's a jealousy that is required because between husband and wife, there must obviously be that kind of protection and that kind of uh, eagerness, you know, to protect one, us, uh, one another's uh, honor and dignity. So he said, if I must find somebody with my wife, I will kill him. So the Prophet ﷺ looked at the Sahaba because they were quite amazed with the strong words that this person was sharing. So the Prophet said to the Sahaba, أَتَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ غَيْرَةِ سَعَدٍ Are you uh, amazed at the the jealousy in inverted commas it's obviously a good jealousy here. are you are you uh, amazed at the way that Sa'ad spoke now about his wife and how he protect his wife by killing this person who's with his wife so they said yes of course it is something strange for him to speak like this so the prophet sallallahu says wallahi la ana aghyaru minhu if you think that he is very overprotective over his wife i swear by allah that i am even more protective over my wives than what he is you know and this is what what marriage is about protect your wife and to show that concern and to show that you will give up everything to make sure that your wife is okay and your family is okay and so uh, I would urge this person really to change his habits and not to leave his wife alone and not to neglect her but rather to give her the haq that is due to her inshallah ta'ala. Shukran so much Sheikh. The following question is as follows it says Assalamu alaikum Sheikh is it fair for people to go after fitna and judge a person as the person works for them and give the utmost best to the company and do please everyone at the company but they think bad about the person because of jealousy I am an honest worker and I've been working for the family and yet they still think uh, bad because of fitna what does one do in a situation like this yeah of course uh, the issue of um, you know fitna in the sense of people uh, backbiting one another and having malice towards one another and so on and uh, the issue of you know not appreciating what people do 
Um, I think one of the things that you should remember is that uh, when you do whatever you do and people have something bad to say out there, as I said earlier on in another question, the comfort that we always have is that Allah knows what we are doing. Allah knows our situation. So you do your best in your workplace what you can, carry out your job as best as you can. And if people are making fitna out there, don't worry about it. You know, and now it is difficult and it's easy to, for me to say it and it may be hurtful for you. But try not to focus too much on it. Just remember even the Prophet ﷺ, he was a prophet, he called people to Allah, he called people to good, but yet people badmouthed him as well. People spoke a lot of bad things and gave him bad names and so on. But the Prophet ﷺ had patience and he dealt with patience, everybody dealt with patience. So uh, the best thing that I can say to you is that uh, inshallah try to uh, you know, focus on yourself, try to focus on your creation, uh, your creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and interact with the creation of Allah with patience. And yes, those people who are harming you or who are bad-mouthing you without any due right, they will be answerable by Allah Ta'ala. There's an ayah in the Quran in Surah Al-Ahzab, chapter 33, verse 58, where Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْذُونَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ بِغَيْرِ مَكْتَسَبُوا فَقَدْ يَحْتَمَلُوا بُهْتَانًا وَإِثْمًا مُّمِينًا Those who harm the believers, whether they be male or female, they harm them with something which they did not do something which they are accused of, which they did not do, and they harm them in this process, then they have gained for themselves a great, a great sin in the sight of Allah Ta'ala. So Allah will deal with those people who have harmed others by bad-mouthing them or speaking ill about them, especially if it is not true. We make dua that Allah gives you the strength to be able to continue in your workplace in a good way and do the job as best as you can. And may, may the, the fitna that is around you subside, inshallah, so that, so that you are able to carry on with your life as normal as possible. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Inshallah. And with that, we have come to the close of our program, Questions and Answers. Shukran so much to everyone who have seen through your questions. And also those of you who we have not been looking at some of those questions, we'll definitely be doing that next week, Saturday, inshallah. Sheikh, shukran so much and all of the best. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakumullah khairan to you, uh, Sister Yasmina, and also to our listeners for tuning in once again. Until we meet in one week's time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To that is the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim Amwas Imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid out in Weinberg. Before I say my goodbyes, just a final reminder about the Golden Hour Luncheon happening honoring our extraordinary women that's happening on the 4th of August from 12 p.m. up until 5 p.m. That will be taking place at Belgravia High School Hall. Felt Road, Belgravia Estate. Tickets are 230 Rand per person. So join us for great food, great company and great entertainment. Tickets will be available at the Voice of the Cape offices on 021-442-3511. That is 021-442-3511. You can also make contact with Taz Boutique in Gatesville on 021-633-1367. Or you can make contact with Antisukaina Jahadin on 0827. 0826-5627. That is the Voice of the Cape Golden Hour Luncheon happening 4th of August from 12 up until 5 p.m. So join us and make sure that you secure your seats, inshallah. From myself, Yasmina, as well as everyone on board, we bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.